and welcome to McGuire Woods Edible Bites, where we bring you bite-sized updates on all things happening in the life sciences space, including updates on cannabis, hemp, CBD, and other emerging markets. Our quick updates are packed with key industry developments you can watch during your morning coffee, while having lunch, or on a brain break. I'm Kate Hardy, a partner in the McGuire Woods Charlotte office, and with me today is my trusted colleague, Royce Dubonet, from our Charlotte office. Today, we're gonna to talk about whether or not you own or sell an unapproved cosmetic device you might even know, not know about. FDA recently issued final guidance on the regulation of micro needling products. All right, let's get noodling. Okay, so like I mentioned, FDA, kind of under the radar, I think, Royce, uh, yeah. issued some final guidance on the regulation of micro-needling devices. You might be thinking, okay, what are these? But they're actually things that are probably very familiar to a lot of us, particularly us ladies. Um, they sell them at Sephora. You probably maybe see them in your dermatologist practice, but these are devices, they have little pins on them, like you see here, and you roll them on your face, and they penetrate your skin, and it is supposed to be a beautification process, maybe slow the aging process, um, and again, you can buy them over the counter, or dermatologists are doing these in their office, but I think unbeknownst to a lot of people, FDA recently decided that a lot of these devices, including the ones we're seeing here, are actually class two medical devices that need 510K clearance. Who would have guessed? So many people probably have these in their bathroom at home. Yeah, so this one was really interesting that even during COVID-19 of all things, uh, FDA decided that now was the opportunistic time in November to opine on microneedling devices, something that we haven't really seen a lot of at all, and to issue guidance on them as kind of not out of the norm. There's no real, you know, shell shockers within this one, but really FDA decided to pause during the peak of COVID-19 to address a cosmetic product. And, um, you know, Kate, I, I think you're gonna go through this slide and, and talk about some of these, where this falls in as a device, but uh, I'm happy to give my thoughts as well. Sure, that'd be great. And actually, uh, FDA will talk about in some of our other uh, podcasts has issued a couple of guidances sort of mid-COVID that have kind of Knock through. So we know that FDA is not just paying attention to COVID, they're still paying attention to other things in the market. But sure, I mean, we put on this slide, um, the main topic of the guidance is to assist industry in understanding whether or not your product is a device. We don't have to read through, we just put here for everybody, the Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act definition of a device, mostly to make the point that it's a very broad definition and products even like these can potentially fall into the definition of device. Yeah, and it's, it's really, you know, people may be saying, okay, well, it's a device, of course, it's, it's made out of metal and it, it rolls across your face, so isn't that a device? Well, not really. I mean, FDA is always taking kind of a backseat 
approach, mainly because of the way the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act is written to cosmetics or anything in the amorphous realm of what is a cosmetic, such as skin beautification. We'll get into this later. But FDA's main concern here is really, I think, a focus on safety, as well as some of the efficacy claims that might have crossed the line. And it really has to do a lot with, you know, what is the device doing? Is it going past the outer layer of the skin? Or are we getting, you know, the sharp little needles below the outer layer where it might be able to cause infection or some sort of bodily harm if not used properly. Yeah, and that's a great segue to the next part we have here. We've listed out the key items that FDA is going to be looking at and, and want everyone in industry to use to evaluate whether or not the product would need a 510K. I think there's two really key things here. The first one is all of the statements, labeling, and advertising, and we'll talk about the different types of labeling and advertising and how that can put you in the microneedling category. And the second one, Royce, like you were just saying is, is that needle penetrating beyond, we're gonna use a little Latin here, the stratum corneum, which is basically beyond the dead layer of skin cells on your face. And then we'll talk about this as well. The other key piece of this is FDA specifically said in this guidance, they're gonna evaluate the needle sharpness, the needle length, and the degree of control over any type of manual or motorized product. So you can have a product and maybe you're making claims that you think, oh, that's gonna take me out of this microneedling guidance, I'm good. But if your needles are actually penetrating below that dead layer of skin, FDA may come back and say, you know, no dice, just because you're calling it an apple doesn't mean it's not an orange and we're going to come on here and uh, exercise our enforcement discretion. Yeah. And also for like all the acupuncturists, tattoo parlor professionals, tattoo artists, or anyone else using a needle, we're not talking about, uh, you know, acupuncture needles or needles used in tattoo parlors, which are also regulated by FDA. What we're really talking about is a, a unique product that is using needles to um, affect, in FDA's mind, the structure and function, structure and function of the skin. Um, and, you know, that's the point where the line is getting crossed is where you're taking this, you know, beautification product and FDA gets into this in the guidance and, you know, really taking it beyond that and trying to market it as almost a handheld Botox device. Right. And that's right. The guidance does explicitly say that it's excluding acupuncture, uh, derm abrasion type devices where you're really just kind of doing a micro abrasion on the top of the skin. Um, and same thing, tattoo machines. So the guidance does give some good examples of what is excluded. The one other interesting thing in this guidance is it also talks about, and you may have seen commercials about this, if you're doing a microneedling procedure and you're combining that with some sort of special serum, or there's a thing right now where people are putting, I think, blood plasma on their face after they've done a microneedling, FDA is potentially taking the view that that is a combination product, which is a completely different regulatory category. So 
there's a lot to be thinking yeah. about with this. Absolutely, Kate. I mean, we really don't want, you know, if you're if you're a cosmetics company out there, you, you have a lot of room to operate within the world of FDA, and uh, as you should because of the way the acts were in, but. You know, what you don't want to do is start selling a combination product that, you know, makes claims such as like, well, we utilize this device on top of this cream and cure your wrinkles or reverse aging. Um, you want to try to stick to the claims that you're used to making. Can't not kind of like the, the TLC song, not chasing waterfalls, like stick to the claims you're used to making don't go chasing, you know, phony claims. Not that those would be phony claims. Yeah, and actually that's a great segue to this slide that we have. And these are examples of what FDA said might put you in the device bucket and examples of what might keep you out of the device bucket. And I think, you know, when I was looking at this, a lot of these you know, we're trying to do all the same things. It's kind of a fine line to be walking with some of these claims. And of course, you know, from a sales perspective, everybody wants to be saying it's going to, you know, get rid of your wrinkles and your facial lines. I mean, that's practically every product out there right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, also, FDA is not trying to reinvent the wheel here. Uh, a lot of these things, if you look on the not deemed device claims over there, we've seen these before. We've seen these on small entity compliance guides. We've seen this in the cosmetic space. You know, these are really the guide rails that FDA has put out for cosmetics products. On the left side is really getting at, you know, the disease aspects or the, the you know, structure function aspects. And, you know, a great rule of thumb is think about it. Like if, if you're going to the store and you're buying a product for either, you know, scar removal or not scar removal, scar reduction, uh, you know, acne treatment, or, you know, even something such as wrinkles. Think about what kind of drug is associated with that. You know, is this going to be, um, you know, something that's already on the market under an OTC monograph or is this something like Botox where Botox does have an indication for wrinkle relief and, and many other uses but think about that is your claim going to hit on something that's already been approved as a drug or a device or is your claim going to go more towards the appearance you know feel smoothness of the skin something that we've seen before in the cosmetic space yeah, definitely something I think folks are going to have to be a lot more careful about. And one thing that I thought was kind of interesting about this guidance is FDA didn't really say a lot about what it's going to do as far as enforcement discretion for all the products that are out there. I mean, this is definitely a situation where the plane is taken off, the ship has sailed, um, you know, kind of like even CBD products. I mean, there's a lot out there for FDA to try to start policing who does and doesn't have a 510K like they're supposed to. Um, I mean, you and I checked the database. There's a few products out there mm -hmm. that have already gotten a 510K, um, but we'll really have to see if FDA takes an approach of just shooting out some warning letters and kind of trying to get people to tow it in. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, just as background, warning letters are like kind of like that that scene in the opening of uh you know scream where it's like 
they're on the phone call and like everything's okay, but you know something bad's going to happen. Warning letters are the like the start to the horror movie. And it's not that there's going to be FDA enforcement. It's that there's going to be plaintiff's lawyers and people looking out there, maybe even competitors, trying to see what did FDA ding them on? And is that related to false advertising or some sort of other business practice that is prohibited under state law that I should look into as a plaintiff's lawyer to bring about either a class or a different kind of claim a class action or a different claim and, you know, get to the settlement stage. And that's really, I think, you know, warning letters are one thing when you're dealing with FDA, you know, there's approaches on how to deal with them. Um, but warning letters are also the two scary music in the horror movie. And sometimes they can lead to, to complications on the civil side. Yeah, that's another really great point. And I feel like we're seeing more of that happen across the board in this space. I mean, we've seen it with infant formula and several other warning letters out there where, to your point, you know, those, those shark plaintiff lawyers are out there and they're watching and your class action is going yep. to be coming quick. So that's another reason why, I mean, I think it's really important to pay attention to this guidance and really take a look at your product and your advertising claims and, you know, try to, try to bring it in and figure out where are you going to fall? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Let's move. Um, let's move on to our last slide um, and just talk about food for thought and the important things that we want to take away from this real recent FDA guidance. And before moving on to our food for thought and we wrap it up here, um, just want everybody to remember that the Edible Bites podcast is for informational purposes only. These updates should not be construed as legal advice in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And please make sure you consult an attorney before being fearless with making any decisions. All right, let's talk real quick about our food for thought and wrap up uh, this discussion of the FDA's recent guidance. Uh, key points, I think, um, there is just a wide scope of products that are already on the market. They're really going to have to take a hard look at what their product is doing, how is their product penetrating the skin, and what kind of claims are they making. Um, and then evaluate whether or not you're going to have to actually go through the process of getting a 510K. I'm assuming FDA will let everybody stay on the market. Um, you know, while you're pursuing a 510K, but certainly that remains to be seen. Um, the other really important piece to remember is anything and everything that you've got out there is going to count as advertising. So all your social media, your, um, your Facebook, everything else, you should be looking at claims that are made there. And FDA actually has guidance on how to handle social media claims. So that's something you might want to look at. Um, and the guidance also provides more examples of things that would be outside of this particular guidance for the microneedling products. And there's a couple of Q and A's in there that folks might want to take a look at. And anything else, Royce, do you want to add to our, our food for thought and our takeaways for everybody? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, uh, you know, the most important thing is don't panic. If you've got, you know, SKUs or inventory, 
and, you know, this guidance comes out, you know, it's, it's a quick look at, you know, really, what do I have on the shelf? What are the claims made around the thing on the shelf? And, you know, how does this apply to me? Uh, should I be getting another purchase order of this? Should I be, you know, thinking about this inventory possibly, you know, going off the market? Just, just a quick look. It's not an immediate, you know, stop, drop, don't sell any more micro needles. It, it's really looking at what you've got on the shelf and what's happening there uh, because these products have a place, uh, whether it's, you know, in the cosmetic space or as a device, there's a home and place for them and um, nothing in the world of FDA is an emergency until it is an emergency. And then it, it really is an emergency. <laughs> very true. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thank you everybody for taking the time to listen to our update and until the next time, noodle on that. Thanks very much. <laughs>